to Decapod, the podcast for the Roberts Lab NPRB-funded project investigating the effects of bitter crab disease and temperature changes on southeast Alaskan tanner crabs. So, Maddie, tell me about what you do at SAFS. Oh, well, I am a student in uh, Andre Pant's lab, so uh, I'm a quantitative population modeler. <laughs> I guess that is inherently quantitative. But um, <laughs> so what I'm, uh, what I'm working on is developing a management strategy evaluation for bear titanor crab in the eastern Bering Sea. Uh, so there's been a lot of questions about the current harvest control rules and uh, with a fishery that is as cyclic as tanner crab, um, they're looking at building from the ground up, and I'm helping mm-hmm. so. is it are do you have a job with them too is that yeah so my right? position okay. is kind of interesting uh so i'm uh i'm technically industry agreement but uh, so i work for uh, an environmental consulting firm called natural resources consultants incorporated and so uh we take jobs from a lot of organizations uh both in academia and also government and, and sometimes private and uh, and so depending on on the partner kind of determines the kind of work. So so my direct boss is Scott Goodman, and he's the executive director of the Bering Sea Fisheries Research Foundation. So they're one of our uh, our biggest clients. And so uh, so Scott and myself essentially work as uh, analysts and advisors to this organization. So the Bering Sea Fisheries Research Foundation is an industry funded group that's uh, made up of both harvesters and processors in the crab industry. And they come together and work with both NOAA and the state of Alaska to identify research priorities and either help with the research directly by uh, chartering vessels and going out to sea uh, to collect data or specimens, uh, or they, um, they do monetary support. So okay. uh, I've been involved in both the fieldwork aspect and they're now supporting me through grad school uh, nice. to develop this uh, management strategy evaluation. So cool. it's a good deal. Cool. So how did you get involved in this? Have you always been interested in crabs? and? Uh, it was kind of a, a happy accident, actually. So, so I went to the University of Washington as an undergraduate, and I uh, was a double major in fisheries and oceanography. And what I was really into was, uh, was looking at spatial, uh, doing spatial studies on animals, uh, depending on, like, for my thesis work, I looked at marine protected areas and sharks, and so I always thought that I would go into, like, charismatic megafauna and, <laughs> you know, make, make, uh, inferences about what they do based off of oceanographic processes, and, uh, and uh, now that I'm a little older and wiser, I realize how difficult that is for, <laughs> for anything, um, and, uh, and I kind of found myself in the crab world by accident, so I was hired at this firm while I was still an undergraduate. Uh, just because my my quantitative and skills were up, and I knew how to do GIS, and that's what they needed. So, um, but it pugged me into the crab world, and at first I kind of stuck my nose up at them. But uh, turns out crab are really really cool, and nice. I really enjoy working with them. It's an interesting challenge. Yeah, cool. Um, so you go to sea a lot, like every summer. Yeah. So at, at least uh, I, I go once a year in the summertime, sometimes twice a year. Uh, so so the two trips that I've 
done uh, over the past couple of years. Uh, one has been a growth collection survey, which was a cooperative effort with NOAA, where we went out in April mm-hmm. in the Bering Sea. <laughs> and uh, so, so we'd go out and um, we would just be trying to collect like very specific size classes of both Kinesites bairdi tanner crab and uh, Kinesites opilio, which is snow crab. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's always really fun because the weather tends to be pretty nasty. So there's a lot of days of like really rough seas and then you go out on deck and it's kind of snowing and you're like, okay, this is great. <laughs> but, um, but the last trip we did was really cool because we actually got to transit uh, all the way to Kodiak. So we sailed out of Dutch and we were out for about two and a half weeks and then went all the way to Kodiak to actually drop crab off at the Kodiak uh, NIMS lab. So, uh, and that at the time was headed by Bob Foy. Yeah. And I think he's the director now. He's moved up. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, and, and the summer work has been, uh, uh, the, the summer work has been going on since 2005. So I only oh. started getting involved with it uh, in, I did the data analysis in 2014 and started going to see in 2015. And, uh, and so that work has been really interesting. It's essentially a, uh, it, it's been a selectivity study for, um, for trial selectivity for crab. So we've done it for, uh, or we've, we've collected data for several species of uh, commercially important crab. So we've collected for red king crab, we've collected for snow crab, and we've collected for tanner crab. So, and, um, and that data is now being used. I'm, I'm hoping to use that data in a mixed effects model to uh, kind of reevaluate the selectivity me- metrics. Uh, mm-hmm which then hopefully will feed into the assessment and uh, improve our, just continue to improve upon our understanding of crab and the dynamics of their population and our survey estimates. Yeah. So, so these fisheries are using trawls instead of, or are, are they using crab pots too? So this is a good question. We get this question a lot. So, um, so the surveys are done using trawls, and that's okay. because... Um, for NOAA specifically, they use the uh, the eighty three one twelve uh, auto trawl. I think it's not a trawl, <laughs> and uh, and essentially like they look at everything in the Bering Sea. So so the NIMS uh, the NIMS annual Eastern Bering Sea Survey not only looks at the uh, abundances of different species of crab, red king crab, snow crab, tanner crab, but they also look at all of the ground fish, and I think some of the forage fish. And so because of that, um, I mean they use a trawl. But we, we use a smaller trawl called the Nephrops trawl, which is uh, specifically designed to stay on bottom. Uh, so it has what's called the tickler chain, which kind of digs into the mud a little bit. And our toes are only five minutes, so our footprint is very small from a trawling perspective. Yeah. So our, our cotton has this mesh bag that ensures that not only are we retaining everything that is, you know, bigger than like a little tiny, like, like less than a penny, mm-hmm. but... Um, but we, we do that specifically so that we can catch all the crab we can. So one of the biggest differences between our gear and Noah gear, or Noah's gear, is that um, we catch the juvenile size crab that they don't see, which we were hoping to be uh, to help with better understanding the recruitment curves for crab, but so far that has been unsuccessful. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyone that's familiar with fisheries modeling knows that the recruitment curve for crab looks like a shotgun blast. It's totally... <laughs> unhelpful so so um our understanding of the variability in those populations from year to year comes from like essentially random recruitment draw on a log normal distribution this is getting kind of mathy but (laughs) (laughs) it's hard so so we're hoping to uh so so we 
it's a way to kind of standardize the catches. So we essentially are acting as a control because we catch everything. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we can look at how that compares to NOAA. And then looking at that better informs the selectivity estimates, which then helps better estimate the abundance. Um, that being said, the directed fisheries are all pot fisheries. So the directed fishery is not a trawl fishery. They use pots. So, and the reason that uh, pops aren't used to survey crab as much is uh, just because they they add inherent bias. Uh, that being like, you can't put a single a pot in like every station mm-hmm. because that would just be it would too much ground to cover and it just would be very difficult. Um, you would need a lot more effort, and if the fishermen were to do it, it would take away from what they're able to do. And then uh, adding in the fact that you're baiting a pot kind of biases like you don't know where the crab are necessarily coming from and that depends on currents and there's more factors that you can't control when you do a pot survey uh versus a trawl survey which is why uh the crab estimates are use survey data from trawls Uh, there are i believe two fisheries that use pot data and that's because the uh the bottom type is just too rocky and too messy to trawl and they also tend to be with species that are uh, pretty sensitive in terms of their populations. One of them being blue king crab, which mm-hmm. has been in an overfished state for... Well, the Privilof blue king crab was just declared overfished or in an overfished state. So um, overfishing has occurred kind of from year to year. And and we can get into the definitions of overfishing versus overfished. But, <laughs> but, um, but they use pot surveys, and then uh, their pot surveys used for the Aleutian golden king crab fishery. And that's, once again, just because it's really rocky habitat and there's only five vessels in the directed fishery so wow. so actually the the pot survey is conducted by the fishermen but with scientists aboard so okay the scientists go out with them and they have specific strings that they set out to collect information that's so, pretty cool yeah yeah so what is the difference between overfishing and overfished all right so this is <laughs> you might have to edit some of this so i'm make sure that i get this straight uh, so the way that crab are managed in the Bering Sea uh, is under what's called a fisheries management plan. And so the fisheries management plan is where there's kind of a cooperative agreement between NOAA and the state of Alaska. So NOAA, so the assessment and the trawl survey that is done annually is conducted by NOAA. And through, uh, so you take all the survey data and you put it in the crab assessment model. On uh, essentially what comes out is what's called an overfishing level. And then, so you have the overfishing level and that's like, essentially a not to exceed. If you exceed this amount, then you're overfishing. Uh, so the ways that they uh, then set the catches from there is so, so you have this overfishing level and then there's a buffer, which is your allowable biological catch. And so that idea is that the allowable biological catch includes fishing from both the directed fishery and from non-directed fishery, so bycatch essentially. Mm-hmm. So, okay. uh, so on the next level, is where the state of Alaska comes in. So they set what's called a TAC, or total allowable catch, and that is the amount of fishing that is allowed in the directed fishery. So essentially, the uh, the difference is that, so the fishermen in that have the hold quota for crab can go out and they can catch up to the TAC uh, with there being some bycatch and some discards when you either catch females or you catch crab that aren't the right size. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that biomass then adds on until you hit the allowable biological catch okay so uh so for crab that uh so for blue king crab for example um they uh 
the kind of running joke is uh, this year we caught 21 blue king crab in the survey, and we're like, oh, no, we overfished the fishery in the survey. <laughs> and so uh, so the, the levels are set so low that, um, that essentially they hit the overfishing level just with the, the bycatch from the non-directed fisheries every year. Oh. So your fishery is in an overfished state when your biomass drops below. This is where... I should know this off the top of my head, but I would prefer to look it up. But uh, I think it's when your biomass drops below, I think 40% is what it is of uh, what your virgin biomass or what, what you think your population average should. So I, I think it might be the population average of crab, but once again. <laughs> um, but essentially, so, so overfishing is occurring if you exceed the OFL. A stock is overfished if it drops below this biological threshold okay. so, or reference point is what we call them. Are you getting a master's or a PhD? I'm currently getting a master's, but the hopes to get a PhD okay. eventually. So, yeah. so we'll see. Um, I, I'm really excited to uh, have the opportunity to have this project that's really applied. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the, the cool things about being on a master's track, uh, or the coolest thing about this project, if you're cool with me talking about it, is, yeah. um, is just the sheer amount of cooperation that has made it happen. Because, uh, you know, the, the, the unique part of this is that Everybody kind of has their their thumb in the pie, but uh, so on one hand, you know, you have to make sure that you're corresponding with, with a bunch of different groups. So, like, I make sure to report to the industry that is keeping track because, you know, they're, they're funding me. Um, I work directly with the stock assessment author. Uh, his model will actually be used as in an MSC. Um, it'll be... I'll, I'll be using his model to uh, project forward mm-hmm. uh, and look at different harvest strategies, which are provided to me by the state of Alaska. So I'm like using the federal model. I'm discussing with the state to know which harvest control rules to test. And then the parameters that um, the, the, the performance metrics that are used in this model are then uh, a lot of them have been discussed with industry to make sure that like everybody involved in the group understands what the model is doing and they've stated like what their objectives are. And so it, it makes for a really unique situation. And ideally, you know, all parties will be happy and we'll mm-hmm. have a uh, harvest strategy that, that hits I know that some of the objectives that, that industry has been interested in uh, has just been consistency. Mm-hmm. So with the, the cyclic nature of the Tanner Crab Fishery, uh, the the time period when all of this kind of came to a head in terms of like we need to fix it all was in was in the 2000 um, I think it was the 2014-15 fishery um, or it might be 2015-16 fishery when uh, the fishery was set at a 20 million pound total allowable catch and then the next year due to the constraints of um, or the constraints of the current harvest control rule uh they have a rule that is governed by female biomass. So, so the crab fishery is a male-only fishery, but written in the harvest control rule is essentially um, a, a female biomass threshold. And so the idea behind this threshold was originally to uh, make sure that there is, you're leaving room for spawning stock biomass. You want to make sure that there are enough crab out there to continue breeding. And because we don't understand the recruitment dynamics well, uh, you got to leave enough out there to reproduce so that we can continue to have a fishery. So that was the baseline idea behind this female threshold. But the place that it's a little bit different from other fisheries is that if you don't hit the female threshold, the fishery turns off completely. So it doesn't matter how many males are. It doesn't matter what the trends are. If the females are below, like you cut it off. So we went from this 
year where we had a lot of tanner crab and you know there I think there was a red lobster commercial that was like bear and I tanner crab come get a red lobster <laughs> and then the next year the fishery closed oh my gosh. so naturally this frustrated a lot of people because mm-hmm. they're like how could like how could this happen and like well, why didn't you know and like bah. and and so you know the state is getting a lot of flack Noah was getting a lot of flack you just have a lot of angry people and so they uh they did what you know, I like to call Band-Aid fixes the next year. And so it was essentially allowed for a fishery, a very small fishery to be open. But, like, at this point, like, we're not really looking at so much of the scientific validity of the rules. We're just kind of trying to tweak things just enough to get a fishery open and make people happy, but also, like, be true to the government mm-hmm. and, and the state ideals. And, you know, Alaska, everything has got to be uh, – well, really is responsibly managed. They put a lot of time and effort um, into making sure that things are sustainably managed. And, and that's why we're in this position now. Is so after they made those fixes, they're like, we're not going to do this another year. We have to just do it all. <laughs> we will start over. <laughs> and so, so the exciting part is, um, assuming I finish, which I will, you will. I will finish <laughs> uh, on time specifically. <laughs> so, uh, so I'll be presenting uh, my results to the state of Alaska um, by September of next year. So a little oh, bit wow. less than a year, and from there, uh, they it, it'll go on to the Board of Fish, which is a uh, state of Alaska, essentially their their big dogs, their council. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I'm testing six control rules right now. Uh, that number could change. Hopefully, not too much. But uh, at the end of this process, I'll have six control rules. We'll do an analysis to compare all six. One will be chosen. Uh, We'll do a... So I'll have my dissertation, but then on the separate side, for the state side, we'll have essentially a very detailed write-up for that single control rule. Mm -hmm. And then that will be presented at the 2020 Board of Fish, which I think is in April. And then if approved that harvest control rule will be the new adopted harvest control rule and we'll start in the fishery the next year. Oh, wow. So. That's cool. Yeah. Very applied. Yeah, yeah. It's really (laughs) exciting, so. Oh, awesome. Nice. So do you think, I mean, obviously you do not have to know, but do you think you might have some ideas as to what you'd want to do after you finish your master? Oh, yeah. I've got plenty of ideas of what I could do. So (laughs) So I'm I'm in a cool situation. I'm, I'm very fortunate and I... I'd like to thank everyone from my boss and my mom and my advisor. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no so I, I still have a job. So if I um, I could finish uh, my master's thesis, and essentially I will take over at my company uh, in a new quantitative position. Mm-hmm. So our firm is very small. There's only eight full-time employees. So and wow. um, I think four of them are partners with an associated partner, and then there's. There's a couple of us floaters, so we've got a couple of field temps, um, and then we've got two main office um, employees, or it's where I come in. So, yeah. uh, and and we've uh, well, the the other guy, he's he's pretty cool. He's got an oceanography degree, so um, in school nice. of marine affairs, and so he he works more with like the derelict gear removal work, and he he's got cable work, uh, where I've been more plugged into the crab world. But um, but this will essentially me uh, essentially just move me up into uh, doing more quantitative consulting so Mm -hmm. people have problems with models or they want a second opinion or that's that's the role that I could fill in the company but eventually I I would like to pursue a PhD and um there are a lot of interesting projects uh especially considering um even if I stay in the crab world which is really cool like tanner crab like there's uh there's new questions or 
guess I'm not new, but <laughs> there's questions about, uh, there's two districts for Tanner Crab, Eastern and Western districts, and there's questions about, like, the specific biology on either side of the line. It's separated by 166 degrees west, and um, so there could be a potential spatial project there. Mm-hmm. We could look at moving the assessment model or, or creating some kind of model separately that uh, that adds a spatial component in. You know, there's a lot of... Uh, the, the Bering Sea has been really highly variable, especially the last few years with uh, warming temperatures, the blobs back. Uh, people are uh, there, there's a little, people are wondering whether crab are moving, so like change in distribution. I think snow crab might be moving north. People don't know about tanner crab. Uh, another really interesting point, not to get too far ahead of myself, <laughs> but uh, but um, the cool thing about kinesides, uh, which are the snow crab and the tanner crab is that uh, they can interbreed, so you get hybrids, and uh, hybrids are counted in the survey, but, like, there's no fishery for hybrids, and um, so, and it would be interesting to look at the trends to see if there are more or less and how much it's changed over time, and yeah, just kind of things that people haven't had the time to look into, so. Very cool. And is um, bitter crab disease involved in any of your interests or are you sticking mostly with the I mean I think from a personal standpoint I'm, I, I'll probably stay pretty quantitative and population mm-hmm. driven that being said you you could potentially model the prevalence of bitter crab syndrome mm-hmm. given the right data and I, we, it's something that I think is more you could correct you would be the expert on this but I think it's more <laughs> prevalent in the, uh, the Gulf of Alaska uh, compared to the Bering Sea but we yeah. definitely have seen uh, mostly juvenile crab that display evidence of bitter crab syndrome okay so but I've, I've never seen a crab bigger than like 20 millimeters with it so hmm. how long are your surveys that you uh so our surveys uh are generally between like when we're doing collection effort they, those tend to be around two to three weeks um okay. give or take and there, there's some variability in that depending on the weather and uh how well we do when we catch the crab, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but our summer surveys, um, those those have been a month. So, wow. and depending on where we are actually sampling, like when we were doing selectivity work for red king crab, we were up in Bristol Bay, mm-hmm. and so you would go and you just wouldn't see shore for a month. I mean, you would see it like in the distance, oh, hello, the shore, <laughs> but, but uh, we wouldn't go in at all. Wow. Uh, and uh, the last couple of years, with our focus being more on tanner crab, uh, we've been serving uh, with like two of NOAA, so further away from the bay and over kind of by the Pribilofs. And uh, and the last couple of years, we've, uh, well, we had one year where we spent the 4th of July on St. Paul, mm-hmm. and that was kind of fun. And that was just because the weather got really bad, and we decided to hide from it, and we ended up at St. Paul for the 4th of July, <laughs> which was really fun. Um, and it's kind of, it was nice to... To get a break and yeah. walk on land, especially when the seas were really rough. I so, bet. um, oh my goodness, how long are the work days? That is variable. So, um, so when we are working with nymphs, we do uh, anywhere between three and five trials a day, and the amount of time that you actually spend on deck uh, depends on the contents of the catch. So, okay. uh, for, so sometimes we, you know, you'll uh, so so we tow for five minutes on bottom. Uh, Nibs tows for thirty. So okay. um, wow. so it's so it is different. But uh, yeah. we've got a smaller gear and we're more specific. So so we we standardize everything by area swept. 
uh, which is essentially the, the footprint of the net okay. and the speed of the vessel. But uh, so sometimes, like, you just get a bunch of fish, and you're like, oh, there are, there's, like, one crab, or there's no <laughs> crab, and you're like, oh. And, I mean, that that takes no time at all. You know, you, you measure one crab, you sex it, stay with the species, it's written on a piece of paper, and then, like, you go read or take a nap or watch a movie <laughs> but but sometimes especially when we start getting getting into some of the more northern stations we hit brittle star territory mm. and i could rant about brittle stars forever like they're really cool creatures just like you know the really yeah. fast moving sea stars but like uh when whenever we see brittle stars is when we see little crab sometimes a crab are like as small as your thumbnail wow. and the thing about brittle stars is Brittle star arms and crab legs look the same. So there's like sometimes you're on deck for hours. And so when we're working with nymphs, it'll be like, we'll get a brittle star toe. We'll be like, oh my gosh, there's so many things to sort. And you get like, we get the crew out working. So you got all the science party. The crew will come help. And all you're doing is kind of like shuffling through these brittle stars, trying to pick out all the little crab. And sometimes we'll get get thousands of little crab. And, um, and you know, then, then we go through, um, through subsampling procedures. So, um, so when you have like 8,000 little tiny crab, <laughs> thankfully you don't have to measure every single one oh of them, goodness. but, um, but they, they tend to be, they, they tend to have very distinct, like you'll see very distinct size classes and, um, and distinct species. So like at certain depths, you'll see more opies and at other depths you'll see bear dye and, and there is some mixing, but it's pretty consistent, but those are definitely like, those are the days that you're out for a long time. And then uh, in addition to the side-by-side surveys, we also do uh, index towing, which is just a, we try to increase the amount of information per station. So whereas NIMS, uh, so they've got their Eastern Bering Sea Survey grid, which is a grid that's 20 by 20 nautical mile boxes. Uh, so we, so, so NIMS does a tow in the center of every box and we do a tow with them in our predefined locations. Okay. Um, so we'll do like 103 stations and we'll tow with, with NOAA. Uh, but when they go outside of our survey area, we'll go back into our survey area and do these high density sampling. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think the most, the most toes I've done in a day was 15, which was like, it was oh a long God. day. That's like, you start it, you start when the sun comes up at like 630, like you're on deck at 630 and you don't go back inside until like 1130. But, uh, but we don't have too many of those days. So, <laughs> oh. <clears throat> Well, the light's the same, so, I mean, you wouldn't know. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> doesn't change. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, there's one, there's, a, I think it was my second year out. Um, it was super, we were, we were all snarky. I think this was, like, maybe three weeks into the cruise, so <laughs> we're all a little bit, you know, uh, what's the word, Get, getting cabin fever. Mm-hmm. But, but we had a, we had, like, a, like a four-day period where, it was like glass calm. Like it was, it was beautiful. Like I, I have pictures and they don't do it any justice, but it was just like the water was like glass for like three days. Mm. Uh, there was this fog that just didn't go away. And we were up high enough north to where like the light didn't change. So like, you know, you got, you're in your third day of this and you're like, I think maybe we, we've died and we're in limbo. And this is just what our, what eternity is like. <laughs> You know, and then something changes, and you're like, oh, just kidding, it's fine. <laughs> but we see other cool things out when we're out there, too. Like, uh, we, we, uh, we've seen a lot of walruses. Oh, cool. uh, we see whales. We get porpoises that'll come, like, ride our bow, which is Aww. really cool. So, 
it, it's a pretty surreal experience. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. It's good you enjoy it. Yeah, that sounds really, really cool. <laughs> crab are cool. Eat crab if it's sustainable. Hooray! <laughs> it is in Alaska. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. I can't. Yeah, that was really good. Awesome. You're very good at speaking. Oh, thank you. <laughs> very um, good at explaining things. I'm glad. I thank you. So <laughs> this is fun. So thanks for having me on your show. Of course, Grace. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Sweet. I'll edit it up and it'll be posted soon. Available on iTunes now. <laughs> awesome. I'll make sure to pick up a copy. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Decapod, the podcast dedicated to the Tanner Crab Project funded by NPRB. Check out our website at bittercrab.science for more information. <laughs>